Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Welcome, Mani Naputni. I would like to begin by acknowledging that we're meeting today on the land of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains um, and to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So for those of you who I haven't met, but you all look quite familiar today, my name is Elle Freak and I'm the Assistant Curator of Australian Paintings and Sculpture here at the Art Gallery. Um, and it was my great honour to work on this rehang of the Elder Wing with Tracy Locke, the Curator of Australian Art. Um, so today we're also here with Karina, who will be doing the Auslan interpreting today. Um, and we'll probably move around a little bit and speak about quite a few of the works that are in this corner of the Elder Wing. So to just step back and give you a little bit of context before I do speak to the individual works, and I'm focusing today on the works of Bessie Davidson, I just wanted to mention the wing that we're in and the kind of ambition of the wing, which I think brings Bessie's work to context, gives it context. So the Australian art displays for me were um, ambitious in their aim to show a layered version or versions of Australian art, um, Australian art that is global in its reach. And by this I'm referring to the works even in the very first gallery that speak to um, exchanges between Aboriginal people of Northern Australia with Ballander outsiders. Um, all the way to looking at works here in this corner by artists, particularly women artists, but also male artists, who were really travelling the world um, ambitiously and boldly, and they were part of um, many of the most avant-garde movements um, that were happening across the world. So it's really a display, or a series of displays that we've centred around a number of anthologies um, that look to place Australian art in this international context that it certainly was a part of and contributed to. At the very heart of these anthologies is the work of many artists um, who we know very little about, perhaps, artists who are more familiar to you and then others who may be, um, you may be being introduced to for the first time. And of course, as I said, many women artists. So artists of the early 20th century in particular who travelled widely and you see um, this kind of intoxicating sense of, of freedom in their work. And I'm talking about the work of Bessie Davidson, but also other artists such as Hilda Ricks Nicholas, Ethel Carrick Fox, Margaret Preston, Gladys Rennell, Dorrit Black, and Danga, Jeanette Crumbay-Stewart, and the list just really goes on. So these are determined artists, as I said, who travelled widely through places as culturally diverse as France, Morocco, Spain. Um, and in their art, we do see the um, a, a development of their own individual styles, but also the influence of international styles such as Impressionism and Cubism. But today I will be speaking about Bessie Davidson, and I'm very excited to do that because Bessie is an artist who I've always admired, but I've admired a little bit from a distance. Um, so today I'll be speaking about a work that was generously gifted to us just last year, and that's this little paint box, um, which I can understand many of you will have to just come and have a look at um, later. But it's this um, really exquisite little paint box that includes within it um, a French coastal scene painted around 1930 or the 1930s. And I'll also be referring to the second work by Bessie that's on display here, and that's this work just behind me in the corner um, called Mother and Child from 1914. So this was painted just before um, Bessie heard of the outbreak of the First World War when she was in Adelaide again for a very short time. 
So she is an artist who spent most of her life, she was Adelaide-born, but spent most of her life in France. So she travelled there in 1904, she returned in 1907, um, but then by 1910 decided to, to basically move there um, and she came back only a few times after that. So she was an artist who had an international reputation and she was certainly a part of this generation that I mentioned earlier of pioneering Australian women who really forged a reputation abroad. But today I think it's fair to say that her name isn't really widely known and certainly we don't really understand the depth to um, her art. So she spent, as I said, much of her life in France um, and she did die there in Paris in 1965. She was an artist who said, I can't help this life that is in me, I must paint or I feel ill. And I think for me this really summarised um, her life and her art. Um, which I can't really seem to divide. I think that her life was her art and her art was her life. She never married, never had children, um, and instead her life was really shaped by her ambition as an, as an independent artist, um, also shaped by two world wars, of course, and the really astonishing developments in international Impressionism in particular um, being right at the heart of it in Paris. So she exhibited regularly and um, developed a style that did stay true to, to observation, but did venture in experimentation with colour and paint application. And it, it did amount to a series of bold and very vigorous landscapes in the manner of Cezanne, which we see here in this very beautiful um, painting in her paint box. So her works were hung in all major salons, four were acquired by the French state and she had solo exhibitions that took part not only in Paris and Australia, but she was also featured in many exhibitions in England, Scotland and the United States. So I can't underestimate her importance, especially during her lifetime. She was the first woman to be elected to be part of the National Society of Fine Arts in France. Um, and also in 1930, she became vice president of what we know now as the Modern Female Artists, the Society of Modern Female Artists. Um, and in that, she worked very hard to improve the representation of women. In 1931, she was very proud to receive the honor of the Légion d'honneur, or the Legion of Honor. Um, and we actually hold that medal here in our collection as well. It, um, really showed her that she was a part of French culture um, and it also acknowledged not only her contributions to art but also to the life of France having been part of the French Red Cross during the First World War um, and in that she worked in many hospitals um, attending to the injured. So as I said she is an artist who had an international reputation but I do think that she has remained um, somewhat hidden um, potentially here in Australia. It's worth mentioning as well that we know that an exhibition of her work um, is being um, planned to be staged at the Bendigo Art Gallery in 2020, which is just great. <laughs> so today we will consider these two works, um, but I also want to give you a sense of um, what life maybe um, was like for her in France at this time. Um, so it's not really argued by anyone when I say that France really was the centre of the art world when she departed from Australia to um, Europe in 1904. There was certainly a great energy of many artists from across the world, but particularly Australian artists, travelling to France and really looking for new ways of interpreting the world, new methods to art making. I've just, sorry, lost my place. <laughs> 
So these were artists who were really observing the work of many artists who we celebrate now, such as Claude Monet, Henri, um, Toulouse-Lautrec, Vincent van Gogh, um, the list goes on. And these are artists, as I said, who are really experimenting with Impressionism. And I just want to mention to you some of those kind of key ways of identifying Impressionism, um, just to, to get you all in the headspace of perhaps what they were thinking about. Um, even though I know many of you would be very aware of this after our staging, of course, of Colours of Impressionism um, here in the Elder Wing just a few years ago. But for me, the way of kind of summarising maybe some of the approaches to Impressionism that were innovative, I've defined them as kind of painting outdoors, of course, a kind of very high-keyed palette of pure colour, visible brushstrokes, which really are in contrast to the kind of smooth finish of academic painting that um, Bessie Davidson studied in, an interest in light and atmospheric effects, modern subject matter rather than historical or mythological narratives, kind of cropped asymmetrical compositions and the depiction of the transitory moment. And I think this is most important above all else. The kind of privileging of the artist's own interpretation of whatever the scene may be, whether it was a fleetingness of nature, a kind of fleeting sensation, this kind of capturing of a moment. So of the Australian Impressionists in France, we often refer to the male Impressionists, and they're definitely included here um, with many of the works that exhibit all of those qualities, the kind of high-key high colour, broken brushwork. So you can see John Peter Russell, for instance, Charles Condor, E. Phillips Fox, all in France at the turn of the century. But there were many women who were um, also with Bessie Davidson there in France. And so Eleanor Taylor, um, the curator then at the NGV, held a very um, important exhibition called Australian Impressionists in France in 2013. And she said that the years between 1905 and 1910 are particularly notable for the number of women who went to study in Paris, including Bessie Davidson, Margaret Preston, Kathleen O'Connor, Bessie Gibson and Hilda Ricks Nicholas. And of course, there are many more that she could have listed. These women really were freed from the expectations of their family, of, of marriage and motherhood. So Bessie, when she decided to leave, um, she had to convince her father to allow her to leave. And it was her father who gave her the means to travel financially um, until he died in 1925. Um, but she left behind a fiancé who she said she didn't really fancy much. And she certainly <laughs> expressed very clearly to her family um, that marriage wasn't for her um, and that being an artist was, was her path. Um, and after, after what seems like from family um, discussions, a lot, of, a lot of talk, she eventually, of course, would travel there. Um, but Taylor also notes that women tended to be well, this is in keeping with what I just said, from well-off backgrounds, and were more likely also to stay longer than the men. They're away from home and away from that question of when are you getting married? So this is, um, yeah, certainly, um, again, can't be underestimated in the context of Bessie leaving. So it is well known that Bessie Davidson, when she did leave in 1904, she left with another Adelaide-born artist called Rose McPherson, who we of course know better now as Margaret Preston, many nods in the audience. So Margaret Preston is known today, of course, as a great modernist. Um, and it was interesting, you know, putting together my notes for today and thinking about Bessie, to see that Bessie Davidson is almost always spoken about in the context of Margaret Preston, um, because they both were here in Adelaide and they were very close friends. Um, Margaret Preston was also her teacher. 
So Preston, who studied under um, the English academic teacher Bernard Hall, then passed on his methods of, of more tonalist painting, I suppose, to uh, Bessie Davidson. So their early work um, does share a lot of similarities in what they're looking at. Their early work is characterised by kind of, I guess, a sombre palette um, in keeping with Bernard Hall, um, and they're looking at very quiet, intimate interior scenes. Um, and this, of course, changes. And the paths that they would both take were, in fact, very different. So they did spend from 1904 to 1907 together um, in their travel. Um, and then they would spend the, few, the next few years in Australia together, but Bessie would go back to France on her own, and Preston would again return, but later on her own too. Just on that note, it's after I finish speaking, there is a painting by Bernard Hall that is in Gallery 4 that's worth um, looking at. So he um, was here for not... Well, he was here, arrived in 18, early 1890s, and he was the head of the National Gallery School in Melbourne, and it was there where Preston received her um, study. He also then became the director of the National Gallery of Victoria for some 40 years. Um, anyway, he's in the next space. So it was also Bernard Hall that recommended Davison and Preston um, head to Munich, not to Paris, but to Munich when they left in 1904. He had studied there, um, and it was also the preferred location um, for Davidson's, um, Bessie Davidson's father. So he was a little bit concerned about two young women um, going to Paris that he described as too wild, too bohemian um, for these young women. And so they agreed. They did um, study briefly in Germany, but then within a few months they were in Paris going against um, Davidson's father's wishes. They chose different art schools when they were in Paris. Davidson opting for the, and I'm going to pronounce this very wrong, the, Acad the Académie de la Grande Chaumière. Um, and she was there and she was able to study under the painter um, Orné Xavier Prinet. And he, although was also um, quite traditional in his, um, I, I guess, approach to academic painting, he encouraged her to kind of loosen up and to look at other modern methods, um, which she did. But Davison really was in the heart of what was happening in Paris in these early years, um, and they really did define her path. Um, she was influenced by many artists, many poets, many painters who were interested in Impressionism and also interested in this new vogue of Orientalism. Um, she was also a friend of Rupert Bunny, another Australian artist who was in France um, from 1888. But she was particularly interested in the work of Pierre Bonnard, and Edouard Follard and Paul Zizan. And we see all of these influences really informing her work um, at this time, and certainly this work, Mother and Child, um, just behind me. So Mother and Child, as I said, was painted in 1914, um, when the artist had just briefly returned back to Adelaide, back to her homeland. And she completed it, um, well, she depicts, I should say, her sister, um, and her sister's then two-year-old niece. So her sister, Sibella, Jane de Rose, and her daughter, Margaret. And it's painted in their home in Medindi on Palm Street, out on their veranda. Um, and it's interesting to note that the two sitters also gifted the work to the gallery in 1992. So there is one fantastic publication on the work of Bessie Davidson. Um, 
And the author of that publication has spoken about this work, and she said that it reveals an artist who has filtered and absorbed influences into a style that is supremely her own and which allows her to imbue with the work an extra dimension of tenderness and feeling for her subject. And I think this really does um, give us a good entry point into this painting, this idea of tenderness. As we see a mother um, very relaxed and paying a lot of attention to her child, who is then in turn completely mesmerised by this doll that he's holding, which looks like a Japanese doll in a um, bright red kimono. Uh, and another kind of indication of the world influence at the time, or craze, I guess, for all things Japanese at the turn of the century. So she is able to capture very beautifully a sense of, of intimacy, a sense of a very quiet moment. Um, the setting of the balcony places the work in the confines of a domestic interior. And it's a setting that featured a lot in the work of the artists I mentioned before, such as Volar and Bonar. And it's seen, of course, also in the work of um, E. Phillips Fox, this large painting in the very center of this wall. In the same way as, as Fox, Bessie Davidson also pays great attention to areas of shadow um, and light. And they also both work in the manner of their contemporaries by very, applying very thick areas of paint on what is actually a very, um, very thin underlayer of paint below. You really can't see until you come up closely, but when you come up closely and, and look at Bessie Davidson's painting here, it almost seems abstract, and it's not until you walk away and go to a distance where you can really see the complete picture. Um, and this is true, of course, of the Impressionists. They were working to build these very layered compositions of broken brushwork, but ultimately they were creating a sense of harmony. Um, so she's considered this, this very carefully, every brushstroke and, and every part of the composition. What is also very interesting about this work, and I think what makes it um, a really defining work in her progression as an artist, is that it incorporates a, a portrait as well as with a landscape. So you see her here starting to move out away from what were very dark, very intimate interior scenes of her early work out into these very light, very um, high-colour, high um, very free representations of, of nature. Um, so you see, yeah, a kind of, there's a sense of informality to the picture and intimacy, um, and that's also encouraged by the, by the books just resting um, by their feet in the same way, I thought, as Emmanuel Philip Fox has kind of placed this dog in the very foreground as well. They are also, both artists are inviting us to kind of enter the picture plane. You can kind of see with Fox, he's, he's left this very wonderful doorway open in the left top corner where you see the light coming through um, in the same way that we get here a glimpse into a distant landscape, possibly the Adelaide Hills. So from this moment, you do see Bessie Davidson's work really evolving quite quickly. Um, and so during the interwar um, period, where she did return to France, um, well, I should say during World War I, she returned to France um, to serve, as I said, in the French um, Red Cross. Um, but then in, in the interwar period as well, she really did become one of the most acclaimed um, artists, women artists working in Paris at the time. And her style did evolve 
by the 20s and 30s into this very vigorous direction of very vibrant, very dramatic um, series of colours laid onto a, a canvas or onto a board using a palette knife. She seemed to never be still during this period. She travelled around Europe, Russia, Morocco, making outdoor sketches, working on plein air, um, and then often using those sketches to make larger paintings. And we're very lucky to hold, um, I should say, 15 works in our collection by Bessie Davidson. And many of these landscapes are notable for their quality of light and also this sense of atmosphere in the familiar. So with a, with a confidence, um, she did create this work here in the paint box around the 1930s. Um, and, and this kind of energy and spontaneity that we can see in this work um, very much was um, different to those very quiet, intimate interior scenes that I mentioned before. You can still see in this work the presence, I think, of the French artists I mentioned earlier that she, she so greatly admired, such as Bonnard. Um, and in particular, it's in her sense of tones, in, in the tonal range of which she approaches the painting. We also see new a new cubist sense of geometric compositional structure in the way that she's layered the composition, houses above houses and, and um, hills above hills, eventually peaking at the very top with, again, another distant landscape. The work is a very fine example of her late work, of these freely painted and finely composed landscapes. Um, and I keep referring to this idea of tone, and by that what I'm really mentioning or trying to say is that she understood the role of colour, of tone, of harmonies of colour and complementaries. So she really has played with her sense of colour against these kind of very neutral tones of grey um, and beige in this work. By doing this, she does get a great sense of the atmosphere, maybe that she would have felt sitting out there um, on, on this kind of French um, of a landscape, I imagine, peering out towards looking at the coast. So as I mentioned, the paint box was very generously donated by Stella Reeves, her goddaughter. Um, and I was very excited when I was reading um, the publication on Bessie's work to see a note from Stella Reeves' mother, um, who of course knew Bessie, and that's how her daughter became the goddaughter of Bessie Davidson. Um, she knew her from the 1930s, so the time that this work was created. Um, and she speaks about Bessie's work and about her method, and I just want to read you the quote exactly. So she said, later she would square off and enlarge them, being small works like this. But she did that without losing anything of the freshness of the sketch. This is not easy to do, but she never lost the spontaneous look in the process. As to her manner of painting, she applied the paint with an extraordinary little knife out of a manicure set, placing patches of colour thickly with enormous consideration, warm against cold, building up the image very slowly and carefully, and sort of a variation of the pointillist system, not much, much less rigid. She had a contempt for those whose work was not based on good drawing. Um, and with that, that also reminded me of another um, quote that I was going to read to you earlier, but I missed, but I want to mention it anyway. Um, and it was an artist called, um, let me look back at my notes, a French sculptor called Philippe Benard. And he made a point that really stuck with me in trying to understand Bessie. He said that she was interested in the avant-garde of those days without going as far as its excess. 
And I think that really summarised her. She never lost a sense of, of really what it was that she wanted to do as an artist, and that was to be true to what she saw. Um, she never went too far into the kind of um, intellectual side of, of what she was painting. And she also always seemed to choose kind of everyday subjects, the things that were easily reached around her, whether it be nature or whether it be, um, you know, familiar subjects such as family and friends. Um, uh, Philippe also said that it was from her little portable landscaper's paint box that emerged numerous authentic masterpieces and enchantment. And again, that gives us a great idea of, of the uh, importance of this little box on Bessie's development. Um, so it's not unusual for an artist to work with this kind of custom paint box where you can put your landscape in the paint box, work on plein air, and then be able to actually travel widely and carry it wet. And of course, then it's not going to get damaged. Um, and I wanted to mention another very quickly, a very small work that we've also acquired just at the end of last year um, that was created using the same method. And that's this very small work um, by Ethel Carrick Fox. Um, the, the pink work, thank you. <laughs> um, the, the second work down in, in that um, grouping of three. And this painting, which was acquired last year, is also a French scene by a woman artist working in France at the turn of the century. Um, Ethel was married to E. Phillips Fox. Um, and this painting she also created working on plein air, and it's a painting that is the exact dimensions of her paint box. Um, so the board would have been in her paint box like this. Um, but what's interesting about looking at both of them is how both artists have left areas of the painting unpainted, I suppose you could say. So there are areas of the um, unprimed board that actually comes through the compositions um, and adds to the composition and the tonality of the painting. And it gives you, gives you this great sense of how fast the artists were working um, to capture these fleeting moments. Um, and it also gives you a sense of, I guess, the freedom that they were feeling sitting outside as well. And so Ethel Carrick Fox um, wrote a very wonderful um, letter to the Adelaide newspaper actually around um, this time in the 1920s and she spoke about how many people even in the 1920s still felt that Impressionist paintings um, showed works of art as unfinished. She says, I keep hearing this idea that they're unfinished. And she said that if your aim is to capture movement, then depicting the sensation of arrested movement is what really the aim is. Um, and she said she encouraged Adelaide audiences to walk outside, to look around them, and then to think about just how much detail they observed in that moment, um, which I think is a very good point. But I will just um, conclude... Um, so Penelope Little, um, the author of, of this publication I've mentioned, um, said that it's interesting to speculate with what awareness Bessie slipped into the post-impressionistic Zazan-esque, she says, style that characterised her most confident and productive years. Um, she says, but while her art grows, she says, while art grows in good company, Davidson's paintings are immensely independent in their vision. And I would add that they are also, um, in almost every case, in keeping with her very lifelong interest in capturing light and atmosphere. 
I also came across a very interesting um, quote. Again, this is the last one, I, I, promise, I promise I'll end with this quote. Um, but I was reading the words of um, a critic who wrote about her solo exhibition in Paris in 1929. His name is Pierre Moulet, and he said, does art have a nationality? And he responded to his own question, and he said, I do not think so. Bessie Davidson is as much one of us as of elsewhere. She is from any land where there is a taste for beauty, grace, and refinement. And I thought, how interesting. In a display um, of our collection, where we really have aimed to um, blur any, any you know, hard lines that we, that we put on whether an artist is Australian or whether their work art of art is defined as Australian. I think that his observation of Bessie Davidson as a kind of artist of the world is most interesting. Davidson was the daughter of a Scottish father and an English mother, and she, of course, could be claimed by then many nations, Australia, France, Scotland, and England. And I think it's her resistance to fit kind of squarely within these boxes that may have certainly contributed to her neglect in art history but it also allowed her to create a very discreet, personal body of work that expresses her very emotional response, I think, to common moments and common things. Um, and so I will leave it there. Okay, thank you very much, and come and have a look. <laughs>